time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 110 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? This is bourbon barrel coffee. It's good. Are you ready to sip some coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubbly Farms. This month, you can receive 30% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the Healthy Nutritious Treats. Orders $40 and more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubbly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code CWTCL30 for 30% off your first purchase. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing today? Great. New year. New me. Ha ha ha. (laughs) (laughs) New year's resolutions. I remember a long time ago, we talked about New Year's resolutions. We cracked ourselves up silly because I was like, I'm going to laugh more. And you were like, you don't laugh enough. You were like, I'm going to drink more water. And I was like, you drink a lot of coffee. Well, that's what happened. I drank more water. I did. And I drank more coffee, too. And I laugh at everything. So there we go. We don't need to do New Year's resolutions this year. We're good. So you made the cutest mittens. You've been working on these things like every day. I've knitted a whole bunch of them. So essentially, what I'm doing is fingerless mittens. I became completely obsessed with them. They were very common in the 18th century, early America. It was really common to wear fingerless mittens because your hands were warm, but you could still work. Your fingers were clear. Yep. So I knitted a boatload of them for various people. And then I've been needle felting embellishment on them. So I really love that. Oh, yeah. I saw some pictures that you put up of them. They were so pretty. You did a fantastic job on them. Thank you. And you were giving them back last month for Christmas gifts. And I'm sure everybody loved them. I mean, who doesn't love a homemade gift? That's awesome. Yeah, I did some for my nephew. You just never know how a teenager is going to do. But Cedric loved them. So yeah. That's good. Sophia surprised us. She made myself and Joe one thing, Ella one thing, and then her Aunt Michelle another in clay clefts. And just something so special, it almost tears you up when somebody takes the time to put their hard work into a gift. It's Mm -hmm. amazing. And fingerless mittens are back because people want to use their phones. You need your fingers out to do chicken bowls, to do chicken water, everything. So those are cool. They were showing up on the runway, you know, during fashion week. They were mostly showing up in leather on the runway. But I don't think leather is the most practical or softest thing. They were also showing up on the bridal fashion shows. So those were usually longer and they were lace, but still they were fingerless mittens. My mom, I wore her fingerless gloves on my wedding day that she wore on her wedding day was my something old. So yeah, I mean, they're so cool. They're making a comeback, which is awesome. So yeah, we've been busy doing lots of stuff. Everybody knows that over the holidays, we were all hit with a major cold spell. Uh, Most of the world was hit with a major cold snap. 
crazy. It was like everyone from down south on the eastern shore to Texas to people that normally don't get cold air were getting hit with lots of cold air. I mean, we did what we had to do to keep our girls safe. So we're just going to mention this now, this episode. We preempted the episode. It was going to be different. But with the turn of events and the weather, we decided to change our episode up a little bit this week. We got so many messages, so many questions about what to do in this Arctic snap that we think that it's more beneficial to revisit it now so that if it happens again in January or February, everyone is prepared with all the information that they need and it's out there. So if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a written review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. And we grow so much from that also. You can tell a chicken-loving friend or two about the podcast and share your favorite episodes on social media. You can visit our Etsy shop, check out our t-shirts and mugs. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Check out our levels of membership. The other thing you can do to help support the show is visit our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the November box, I absolutely love that glass rooster cutting board and the woven chicken tea towel. I adore those Santa chicken hats and scarves, and I cannot wait to hang those chicken ornaments up on my chicken tree. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. Brr, it's cold outside. It's cold outside and we're ready for the breed spotlight. Yeah. Yeah. The breed spotlight this week. We're revisiting the Australorp, also known as the Australian Orpington. This is a listener request from Camilla. And other listeners also have been coming to us and asking if we will take another look at the Astralorp. We'll yeah. always take another look at a chicken. That's for Absolutely. Sure. And one of our wonderful patrons, Susan, has a quartet of beautiful Astralorp girls. Hey, Susan, we're giving you a shout out. 
So Australorps are one of our picks for great heritage breeds for people who are new to chicken keeping. They are beautiful. They have great personalities and they are absolutely fantastic layers. Think of Orpington, but better lighter than the Orpington. Big cuddly bird that has a really nice personality. And there you have an Astrolorp. I think they're underappreciated chickens, honestly. Yeah, I think they fall in between the cracks. And basically what happens is they're a little bit of a lost breed. Yeah, they can be. The Livestock Conservancy currently lists them in the recovering category of the conservation priority list. So they're in good shape amongst you know the chicken keeping world, but they're just not presented, I think, to new chicken keepers as a good idea. And they're great. They are derivative of the Orpington. What's there not to be excited about with the Orpington? Right. The Astralorp is a dual purpose chicken that was developed in Australia in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Like you said, they largely derive from the black Orpingtons, hence the name. In the past, they've sometimes been known as Australian black Orpingtons or Australian black utility Orpingtons. We're going to throw that name out there again, William Cook. He is the one who developed the Orpington. So we are going to give him the credit. Right. Now, some point in the very late 1800s, very early 1900s, William Cook packed up a whole cargo of his Orpingtons and he took them off to Australia and they were extremely popular there. So at the time in Australia, there was a thriving poultry business. They tended to be located on the coasts, on ports, which makes sense. Right. But what they really, really, really needed was a good supply of layers who would just meet the need for eggs that the burgeoning population in Australia was growing. Right. They loved the Orpington, but they wanted it to be a better layer and less broody. So when you introduce another bird into the mix, like the leghorn, you are going to take out some broody and you're going to put in some egg laying quality. So that's what he did. Exactly right. So the Australians were breeding out the broodiness. According to the Livestock Conservancy, some of the breeds that they outcrossed to were Menorcas, Leghorns, and Langshans. Mm-hmm. Now, if you remember, William Cook used two of these breeds in his creation of the Black Orpington. That would be the Menorca right. and the Langshan. Mm-hmm. The Leghorns, the Australians bred in. Right. And then if you look at this bird, it's a medium to heavy body chicken because when you bring in those smaller Mediterranean breeds, it's going to cut the size a little bit. So they're not going to be as big as the Orpington is. They can be a little heavier body. They're glossy black with a green sheen. They're pretty moderately large with their combs and waddles. If you think about the Orpington, they vary in size also. These birds are going to do that too. And some of the boys have very large combs. My two rescue roosters are Astralorps, and they have enormous combs and waddles. Big, big, big. They have the dark brown eyes, the dark beak, and the dark legs with the pink soles on their feet, which I think is the cutest thing ever. It's adorable. And it's one way to differentiate them from Black Jersey Giants. Jersey Giants should have a yellow sole on their feet. Astralorp should have the pink sole, like you Mm -hmm. said. Good-sized birds. They're not as big as Orpingtons. In the Australian heat, they still wanted them to be dual-purpose, but obviously eggs had to be the biggest thing. They didn't need a bird quite as big. And so they ended up with some smaller weights than Orpingtons. Okay, so the weights are about eight and a half for the ruse, which we know for an Orpington, that's about the hen size, and about six and a half for the hens, Mm -hmm. which is a little bit bigger than the leghorn. But that's the glory of taking the Mediterranean breeds and then putting them in a big bird like the Orpington, 
the qualities that mix together are really good. And like you said, Australia is really hot. So a huge bodied bird that's overly feathered is not going to be a great bird over there. So you bring in the Mediterraneans and they knew what they were doing. That It gave them the bird they wanted. Yeah, I mean, the Menorcas and the Leghorns are definitely a lot more heat hardy. There is a Bantam version of the Australor. I would imagine it's very popular with the show community. Yeah, I mean, Bantams and show kind of go hand in hand. Those are a lot of show birds or the Bantams. And Bantams are hard to find if you are just going to your feed store. And a lot of times when you go to the feed store, it's just going to say Bantams. And it's a mixed breed of every different kind of Bantam they can throw in there. Boys, girls, everything. So it's kind of like a grab bag, which you're going to get. You don't know. Right. It's it's a claw machine for Bantams. It's like mixed, straight run, all breeds. Yeah. It's crazy. You're like, I like the way this one looks. Let's get this one. So unless you go to a hatchery and get them delivered to you, then you know what you're getting or try to buy grow outs of the Bantam so that you know what you're getting in boy and girl. That's the way to get them. And it's harder for the average person to do that. Exactly. I've always been a big fan of coal black. So I've had black llamas, black chickens, black dogs, you, you name it. I don't have any black sheep yet, but that will happen. I have noticed that you have lots of black animals. I do. I do. I think they're absolutely gorgeous. So I have my two Australorp roosters who are absolutely stunning. What I can say most about those two roosters is how sweet they are. They've got fantastic personalities. They let me walk in and pick them up. And I'm not over your house all the time. And for a rude to just let me come in and pick them up and hug them, you know, they're very sweet. Now, they don't have any hens. They're in the bachelor flock. So So that makes it easier. Yeah, it really does. So as we mentioned earlier, the hens are superb layers of light brown eggs. They put themselves on the map in the early 1900s. So this is not long after they had been developed. You know, a few generations in, they put themselves on the map by winning several laying competitions. It's the best of both worlds there. You get the leghorn and the orpington together. And that leghorn laying machine... So from about 1902 to about 1924, the Australorp took part in a bunch of egg-laying contests that were held in Australia. The first one was held by an Australian agricultural college, and the Australorp hens took seven places out of the top 13. That's amazing. It is. Now, in another contest, there was a team of six Australorp hens. They were tracked over a one-year period. They laid 1,857 eggs in a year. That's just over 309 eggs each. You don't get much better than that for a backyard egg-laying chicken. Now, the current egg-laying champion is a leghorn. But before the leghorn, it was the Australorp. I'm not surprised on the leghorn. Lucy is taking a little break right now because she had a hard molt. But when she is laying, it's almost every single day she lays an egg. Even though there were Orpingtons in both countries, news of these record-setting hens had traveled to the U.S. and the U.K., and before you know it, Australorps had shown up in both countries by the end of the 1920s. They really do make a good homestead bird for a whole bunch of reasons. They're good at a lot of jobs. Oh, yeah. They're a good arm for the hog, too. They'll stand confinement pretty well, but they like to scratch and forage like most chickens. Great in the garden. Great helps for that. They're moderately cold-hardy, even though they're from a hot climate. Their size and their feathering makes them pretty cold-hardy, except those roos, those combs. Yeah. They are very susceptible to frostbite. Yes, they are, because they're a little bit bigger. When the boys came to me, they had come from a neglect situation, and 
And Katsumoto, the points of his comb had frozen off. So he doesn't even have any points on his comb anymore. Yeah. Hideo still has the points on his comb. Five of those points are probably at least an inch long. Right. So his comb is okay. We protect it very well. But he actually lost two toes and toenails to frostbite. So they're called hardy with the right setup, I would say. Oh, yeah, for sure. You can find these wonderful birds fairly easily. McMurray Hatchery is one place you can go that has excellent bloodlines. Their birds are top quality. If you don't want to order, this is a bird that you will find at your local feed store. Yeah. So you just have to look at the schedule. A lot of feed stores will put a schedule out probably February. It used to be my favorite thing. And I kept asking every time I'd go in, do you have the schedule? Do you have the schedule? Do you have the schedule? To look to see at what week they would have the birds that you wanted. And astrolurps are always on there. If this is a bird that you're thinking about getting, it's a good bird for a family homestead. It's a fantastic bird. It's all purpose, great personality, absolutely beautiful. Again, if you're a beginning chicken keeper and you're looking to branch into a new breed, we highly recommend them. I don't really have anything bad to say about them. They're fantastic birds. For sure. Mm -hmm. If you have pictures and you have the astrolorp, send them to us. We'll give you a story. We love to see pictures of your babies. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Amazon.com or Nestera.us. Use our code CWTCLP10 for 10% off. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, take a look at Roosties store on Amazon.com. We've personally tested their products and we're huge fans. They have their famous nesting pads, those fantastic chick water and feeder kits, do-it-yourself port feeder kits, water or nipple, and water or cup kits. And you don't even need to drive to the stores. They're all available for prime delivery on Amazon.com. Visit Amazon.com and check out the Roosties range or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so let's move on to main topic. Yeah. Yeah. Since we had some Arctic blasts coming in and we had lots of questions, what do I do? When do I know? We decided that this week would be an excellent week to make our main topic. The truth about frostbite, acclimation, and coop heat. Yes. There are tons of opinions out there about what you should do with your chickens in cold weather. As usual, we're going to break this down for you with a combination of research, our almost 30 combined years of experience, and real-world solutions. Let's start with the question, how cold is too cold for your chickens? Well, theoretically speaking, anything under 32 degrees Fahrenheit can cause hypothermia and frostbite. But we see most of the damage and loss once temperatures dip below 20 degrees Fahrenheit and see some very severe frostbite and birds perishing from hypothermia once you get below 10 degrees Fahrenheit. When you add wind chill in with temperature, the wind is whipping against the skin. That matters if your birds are outside because one of my roosters that I could not get in got a little bit on his comb. And it matters if your coop is not well insulated and drafty. But no matter what anyone says, the root of frostbite and hypothermia are cold temperatures. That's it. 
So how cold is too cold for your chickens really depends on a lot of factors. I want to mention acclimation. When the chickens are used to cold temperatures, it's different than when they're not. So too cold might be different for each area. Your location, right. And we'll talk more about acclimation in a bit. But yeah, it makes a huge amount of difference. And when we explain it, you'll see that we're not just talking about taking a bird out of a semi-warm coop into a cold environment. So what else matters? Your coop and setup matter a lot. You don't want to have drafts. You want your coop to be as sheltered as possible. You want some wind protection. And if you're in a very cold area, you want some insulation. And you also need a little bit of ventilation, but not drafts. There's a very big difference between ventilation and drafty. Ventilation should always be at the top of your coop. And really the best thing to do is have those vent protectors that make sure drafty air cannot blow in, but air and fumes can exit. Your breeds make a big difference. Oh, yes. That's what we talk about every week with our breed spotlights. And it's one of the things before we even started the podcast, when we were picking breeds that we wanted, we'd get the list right. and we would say, okay, this breed is heat tolerant. This breed is cold hardy. Where we are, we get the worst of both worlds. Right. So for us, it doesn't really matter. But if you're in an area that's like Montana, you want a cold hardy bird. Let's say you're in a really cold environment. Let's say you have your heart set on Seabrights or one of the Mediterranean. Leghorns. Leghorns, exactly. You will need to find a way to give them supplemental heat. You absolutely will. There's no question about it. Yeah. The age and health of your birds. Even the most cold hardy hen can have a very hard time in winter if she's elderly or if you have a bird that has been anemic, has a parasite load. Or like my Drusilla with the torn ACL. I do have to give her some carprofen to help her through. That's a pain medication, an anti-inflammatory for them when they're arthritic. And cold weather, as we all know, as we're getting older, the colder it is, our joints ache. So the same thing happens with them. So making some provisions for these birds, it's very important. Yeah, my Agatha Christie has pretty bad arthritis and she also gets carprofen. And I find with the older hens, the senior hens, that when their bones and joints hurt, when their arthritis is acting up, they don't eat enough. Yeah. So that's something else to keep your eye on. And then obviously, another enormous factor is big combs and waddles. They're like a target for freezing weather because they're not attached to the core of the body. They're these unfeathered skin appendages that stick up. What I've noticed too is one of the first things you'll see is kind of a little precursor for if you're going to see frostbite or something, you're going to notice in cold weather that that comb and those waddles, they're going to look very dry and you're going to need to put something on them. I always say this, it's not going to protect them from frostbite, but it's going to keep that skin nice and soft. And at that point, when you notice a little bit of drying on those combs and waddles, it may be time to bring in some supplemental heat just to help them through the extra cold that's drying out their coma waddles. Right. So that does bring us to frostbite. Frostbite has three stages. And this may be helpful if you're new to chickens and you're not sure what you're looking at. First degree frostbite, also called frost nip. So basically, it's going to change the color of the skin. You're going to see some discoloration in the comb. Right. Might be red, might be blue. You can see it in comb waddles and legs and feet too. We do know it does cause discomfort. So they will feel some pain. Right. As it rewarms burning or tingling. I think we've probably all experienced that. Your toes get frozen outside. You come in and they burn as they warm up. That's the frost nip. The second degree frostbite is where the first few layers of the epidermis have frozen. 
So usually you're going to see skin that's blue or purple in color. Right. It can take a couple days for the full damage to develop. So skin may blister, it may darken. Like the previous stage, this is also painful for the chickens. But this damage generally, because it's fairly superficial, will peel and it, it will heal. It will granulate from the inside out. Yeah. So this is the difference. The first one, you're going to see the bluish color. The second one, you're going to see darker colors. Mm -hmm. So really look at it. And at that point, the second degree, you may need to involve your veterinarian to come help you with treatment. Yeah. Depending on how big the area is. Absolutely. Now, the third degree, we highly recommend this goes to a veterinarian because these birds will need pain medication. They may need debridement, some other things. So third degree frostbite is tissue death. This is where it is so cold that the bird can't maintain their body temperature. All of their blood that's in the appendages goes to their core to try to keep yeah. them alive. Yep. And that tissue freezes. And when you find stage three frostbite, it is hard and white. Yeah, it's definitely the white color. There was no blood in it when it froze. That white tissue is dead. Essentially, what's going to happen is it's going to turn black and fall off. You want to keep a close eye on it for infection because you might need antibiotics. Oh, yeah. Sometimes if you look at your chickens and you watch their legs and their feet, they're going to send blood there too because they're with the cold. Before that happens, you're going to notice that they're going to be really red and then they're not. When the blood goes back to the core to try to ward off hypothermia, yeah. You can look at your chickens and know really they're very cold. The other thing that they will give you before frostbite even happens is you'll notice shivering with the feathers. We talked about that in our previous issue where we did the do's and don'ts of winter chicken care, episode 107. Yeah. Continual shivering, ongoing, not for a few yep. minutes. Continual shivering is a sign that your birds are too cold. If they're puffed and still shivering, they're not keeping their body at a warm enough temperature right. to keep them comfortable. If you do a lot of reading online or if you're in a lot of online chicken groups and the subject of frostbite comes up, you're going to hear about moisture. We hear all of the time that if you control moisture, you won't have frostbite. And this is not true. Moisture can cause small spots of frostbite due to condensation in the coop. And that's caused by warm, humid air from the bird's breath, from poop, etc. We checked in with a physicist and we learned that even very, very frigid air can still hold humidity. But the colder the air is, the less humidity it can hold. It's pretty common knowledge that cold air is very dry. Usually. Right. So it's rare that this kind of frostbite is more than just a few small spots. So if you're thinking that you use Vaseline on your flocks, combs, and waddles so that they'll be safe from frostbite, it is not necessarily so. I mean, we're still an advocate to use Vaseline to protect the skin from drying. Coating a comb may prevent the various early levels of frostbite from condensation, but they will do nothing against more severe frostbite. You do want to control moisture in your coop. Moisture in your coop leads to pathogens, bacteria, mold growth. It can cause all kinds of problems if it's not managed correctly. And that's where ventilation comes in. So you want to keep the ventilation where it's supposed to be at the top. You and I have both said we are not the people who are going to do deep litter method in the winter. We right. continuously clean our coops every week to two weeks. And if you do that, you're not going to have enough poop built up in there to create an overload of moisture. Right. And deep litter managed correctly does have some moisture because the microbes need it. It helps heat a coop, but it's not without moisture. So controlling moisture and drafts in your coop will not prevent all frostbite, only those earliest stages. 
No matter who tells you that if your birds are dry and have no drafts, they won't get frostbite, it is not true. The most severe form of frostbite and hypothermia are caused only by low temperatures. That's it. And if you add a wind chill on top of it, it's even worse. Well, yeah. Drafts and moisture should be managed anyway. But if you have a severely frostbitten bird, it is because it was simply too cold. Temperatures were that low. A lot of it can happen outside the coop, too. When they're outside and the wind is whipping, it does it to your face. If you think about people who are outside and prolonged wind and cold temperature, you get wind burn. Your cheeks and your face become red. This is the same thing that happens to their skin. To take the preventative measures, there's things that we can do. We had such a severe temperature drop the other day that I know a lot of people ended up with frostbitten chickens then because their chickens were outside in the wind. But Christmas Eve, we woke up and it was zero degrees Fahrenheit. The coldest temperatures do tend to happen overnight. But like you said, not all the time. They can have it from being in the run or the yard and not having shelter. This is one of the reasons why I always talk about wrapping at least a corner of the run Mm -hmm. as a wind block. Yeah. And, you know, some people do wrap most of the run, which you can't go wrong with that. Yeah. That's an excellent idea. Also, as long as you leave area for ventilation. The ventilation, both in the coop and in the run, especially in the coop, though, one of the reasons you need that is for ammonia to escape. Yep. If your birds are pooping, there's ammonia buildup and too much ammonia can damage their respiratory system. So ventilation is a must. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Now onto the next facet of this discussion, which is acclimation. The first thing about acclimation is that chickens aren't the same as parrots and other tropical birds. A big temperature swing will affect them, but not the same as tropical birds, right? Keep in mind that with parrots versus chickens, Parrots are much smaller, so their air sacs are much smaller. So a smaller change will make a bigger difference. So essentially in a chicken, the air sac is not damaged as easily as it would be in a parrot. It's a larger air sac, so it gives more room. One of the arguments about any kind of a heat source in your coop is that people are afraid that if you have some heat in your coop and you let a chicken out of a warm coop into cold air, they can't acclimate. If you're using a heat source correctly in your coop, it won't be high enough to make a big temperature swing. So let's just take an example like we use a panel heater. A panel heater is going to get that temperature up in your coop, probably to 34, 35, 36 tops. Right. We're not setting a thermostat in there at 68 or 69. We're just putting a panel heater in, which is radiant heat. It's safe from fires but it brings it up just enough. So the acclimation isn't a big deal for them coming back in. No, if you were taking them out of like a 75 or 80 degree coop into 20 degree weather, that would be a problem. Their respiratory system would have difficulties with that, but you're not going to get that kind of temperature swing if you're just using radiant panel heaters. Also, in a lot of areas, you don't even need to worry about using a heat source except a couple of times a year. Right. But it's those couple of times a year that do all the damage. Yeah. And the other thing to think about why not to use a heat lamp, besides the fact that it's a major fire hazard, is it does get your coop too warm. That light bulb is about 500 degrees or more. So with dust, pine shavings, anything straw hitting that light bulb, that's a fire hazard. And secondly, if you have a very small coop, 500 degree light bulbs, that's going to really warm it up. You'd have to place it carefully. I mean, the reality with heat lamps... As chicken educators, we cannot advocate for heat lamps because they do have more inherent risk than a lot of other sources do. And you all are grown adults and you can make your own decisions. We don't use them in our coops. Right. Because we don't want the fire risk and it does get too warm. 
There's an argument that anything electric in a coop is dangerous. And this is true, but it's no more dangerous than the electric in your house. And as a very longtime farmer, I will tell you that pretty much any barn I've ever been in has electric. We use it for everything. The radiant heat, it's not getting way too hot where something touches it. In fact, they can sit in the shavings without a problem. You don't have to put them up. And they make it just warm enough so you're not overwarming your chickens. Right. And we couldn't even find the research of where this all started. We know parrots have a problem, but parrots are a different species than chickens. Exactly. We did tons of research on this. I looked for studies. I only found one study on subjecting chickens to wide temperature swings. It was from the 1970s and it was ghastly. I'm not linking to it. Don't go look for it. You don't want to see it. Other than that, there were no other scientific sources for it. And you know, we're science-based. And the root of science is you're always questioning it. So, you know, that's why we like to find it. We like to look at it. We like to see what's been done. In our experience, acclimation is much more of a problem if you look at it from a larger climate or geographical sense. Birds in warm regions, like some of our friends in Texas, birds in warm regions who get hit with a very low cold snap have a much harder time than birds that are from already very wintry or very frigid climates. I use Wyoming and Montana and all these places that go 40 below and those chickens deal just fine. And that's because that's their life. They're used to those conditions. Well, 40 below is enough to freeze any chicken to death. And so what I'm wondering there is if their chicken houses aren't just insulated to the gills. Right. I mean, they have provisions on an everyday basis there. So they know how to handle it. And the chickens can handle a little more cold than, let's say, somebody in Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama. Those chickens are used to 49 and then they're hit with five. So that's when the heating comes in. And that's where our questions are coming from. I'm not used to this. What do I do? Mm -hmm. Use what's out there now and which scientists have done all the studies for us and say we can use. It's safe. Absolutely. You often hear the argument chickens have survived for thousands of years. Well, guess what? A lot of chickens have died over thousands of years or had painful frostbite. Yeah. And they weren't comfortable. These are now backyard beloveds where sometimes they were looked at differently. A little bit more comfort for your backyard beloved is okay. There is absolutely nothing wrong with giving your chicken top of the line excellent care. We won't apologize for doing that. Now, you were going through some online forums and people are getting bullied for using heat. And you know what? We have to be kind and respectful to one another. If your path is not to use heat, we respect that. But you have to also respect the person who does choose to use it. Remember I said after I lost Skippy, it changed me a bit? Yeah. I think the way it changed me is that I feel like I need to tell the truth, even when being diplomatic would be the easier thing. The truth here is that if you've only kept chickens for a couple of years and you've never gone through a bomb cyclone or a double blizzard or a two degree night in Texas, you don't know what you don't know. It's not fair to go bullying someone who's new to chickens and tell them they don't know what they're doing because they want to heat their coop. Over the summer, the five-minute potential tornado that went through my neighborhood destroyed my chicken run. That's another weather extreme, a weather emergency. We have to take provisions to take care of these things. The cold is no different. You see a lot of frostbite, but you do also see some hypothermia. You see birds that have perished from the cold. These are often very small bantams. Sometimes they're silkies. Hypothermia can be caused by other things, but is primarily caused by temperature so low that the body can't sustain itself. And everything slowly shuts down. Right. Organs shut down and the heart and the respiration will stop. 
Bantams are tiny. There are a lot of very small body chickens out there. My Egyptian Fayumis are not cold hardy. I would imagine Hamburgs, any of the Bantams, Campines, a lot of the light body chickens just can't tolerate these super low temperatures. And yeah. obviously you want to avoid frostbite, but you really want to avoid hypothermia. Oh, for sure. All of that being said, how about some options for temperatures that are so low that your birds may not be able to sustain their body heat? Okay, so I can give what I did. And what I did is my personal preference. And it might be something that's good for you. I brought all of my chickens into my garage with four pop-ups and a panel heater in each. My garage is not heated, insulated, but not heated. So it only got to about 35 degrees in there. They had a panel heater and their food and water, and they were in there for four days until the temperatures rose. And I like to do this. This is what I call it. Work smarter, not harder. Chicken keeps smarter, not harder. I didn't want to be in the cold. I didn't want my girls in the cold, and I didn't want the chickens in the cold. So, so everybody came in. Relocating the birds to a warmer shelter, that probably includes garages or basements. And then once in there, you want to have things like pop-ups, dog crates, I saw a couple of people who whipped up simple chicken wire structures, almost like a chicken tractor to contain their chickens in garages and basements. Just a note, because when people start fighting about the whole coop heating or bringing the chickens in online, this is often left out. In the chicken keeping community, we have a lot of seniors. We have a lot of people who are disabled, who have health issues. It's very important for them to not go outside when it's zero degrees. It's working smarter, not harder. I mean, honestly, keep them in so that you're not going out in it yourself. You don't need a reason. It's just more pleasant for all involved if you're going to be working inside a shelter. But before you go blasting people for either heating a coop or bringing birds into their house, remember, they might not be able to take the cold either. You know what I heard was another good idea from one of our listeners. She was using a pack and play. And she was asking us like, okay, what do we do for the top? And I'm like, everyone should always have one or two rolls of chicken wire, the four or $5 chicken wire around. It's a great lid and a pack and play that's from your child when they were a baby and you still have it. It works. It's great. Put them in there. They can be confined for a day or two to keep warm, put food and water in. That is number one thing that you can do is relocate. Right. Chickens who are bored and unhappy for 24 or even 48 hours, they'll deal with that. It's much better to have that than having them have severe frostbite. Some other options for heating your coops, if you're looking to be either off-grid or you're looking for a non-electric solution, these work best in smaller, very well-insulated coops. The omelet igloo is a good example. These don't work very well in a big coop or a coop that's quite empty. But things like hot water bottles or bags of heated dry rice wrapped in towels. Rice you have to be careful with because you have to make sure they can't eat it. Right, right. So it has to be safe from eating. But the hot water bottle, we'll use gallon jugs that you get water or milk in. Fill that up with really hot water. Take it out, pop it in there. If it's an insulated coop, it's going to help. For sure. And then, of course, the coop heaters, the radiant panel heaters are what we're talking about. We're going to talk about them a little bit more in retail therapy, but essentially the way they work, it's a flat panel Mm -hmm. and it has radiant coils inside of it. They do not get super hot. It's what's called zero clearance, Yes, which means they're very safe. If they fall over in the shavings, they're not going to catch on fire. In fact, my Nankin hens will roost on them. They love them. Over the holiday, it was kind of funny. I was frustrated. I had a pop-up that had all the girls that are troublemakers in it so they could hang out together. 
they would knock over the panel heater overnight. I'm like, what are you doing? And then lay on the opposite side of the panel heater. So this is how safe they are. They're not going to hurt themselves on it or be able to spark a fire in there. And zero clearance is important. And like you said, we're going to talk about these. This is our retail therapy for Mm -hmm. this week. Every now and again, I've seen someone saying that heaters add moisture to a coop, but they do not. This is physically impossible. The only thing that adds more moisture to a coop is more moisture. The radiant heat is just so safe. And way back, we did not have this technology. So it's just a matter of whether you want to use that technology and take advantage of it and give your chickens a little bit more comfort in these times. For us personally, we're going to give our chickens all the comfort that is out there and possible. Absolutely. If you ask us what to do, we're going to tell you some heaters in the coop or move them in. It's always a good idea. Well, you mentioned work smarter, not harder, which is a fantastic thing to live by. There are a couple things you can do to make this even more efficient. Number one, the radiant panels draw very little power. So you can run them off of a solar battery pack if you need to. That's what I was going to say. If you're afraid of the electricity, you can charge it up and run them off the battery pack. You can also use a thermometer, a humidity monitor, and or a thermostat or a thermocube where you Mm -hmm. can plug in the panel and it only goes on when the temperature drops to a certain point. That's pretty much plug and go and you don't have to worry about it. We're just going to reiterate very quickly breeds that may need some extra help. Big comb breeds like all your Mediterraneans and small body chickens, bantams of every single sort and very small chickens, even some leg bars, Polish, silkies, all these different chickens. If you have them in your flock, they're going to need a little assistance. This is why we have them, right? To take care of them. So this is the time to do it. You know, I actually saw some online bullying about people's choices of birds. That's just crazy what's going on. It's crazy. It's disrespectful. It's all these other things. There's some arrogance there. Who are you to tell someone that they don't get to keep X, Y, or Z chicken? And maybe that person is breeding them for conservation. They're trying to maintain their DNA. You don't have to apologize for your choice of chicken ever. Exactly. And also, we were talking about this before, but if you're at a forum and you're getting bullied, get out of it. Find your people. There's nothing that's telling you that you have to stay in this Facebook group or this other group. You need to find your chicken keeper type because we're all out there and do what you're going to do. Everyone has their own preference and respect everyone for their own path in this. It gets tiresome every winter when you have the people over here that say heat your coop and the people over here that say do not. Look, it's a personal preference. It shouldn't be fighting between people. We're all chicken keepers. I've used these panels since they came out because I was like, this is amazing. This is going to help my birds. I'm on this right away. I loved everything about them. And I've not had a problem with them in the years I've been using them. The one I just got because I needed an additional one can change over to a brooder plate. They're safe enough. They're brooder plates and panel heaters. If you use a brooder plate when you brood chicks, it is exactly the same technology as a radiant panel heater. Yes. So if you are looking for more cold hardy breeds, we're going to give you our quick list of cold hardy breeds with this caveat. Even within the cold hardy breeds, you need to watch for seniors. You need to watch for chickens who have been ill, chickens who might have a parasite load or be anemic. That being said, super cold hardies. Any Orpington that you can get. Brahmas and Cochins. Any big body bird, Jersey Giants. Yeah, and I will tell you that my Jersey Giant girls, they're seniors now and they're feeling the cold. Oh, yeah. 
So many people have messaged us, sent us photos, asked us questions. We hope that really helps clear up some things for you. And if you want to, please feel free anytime to message us. We'll message you back as soon as we can. Any kind of help that you need with a setup or with your heat or what you should do, don't feel bad. We'd love to help you. You could let your chicken eat dinner with you on the table wearing a pink tutu and we're not going to have a problem with it. (laughs) That would be great. Okay, so let's move on to... Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Okay, so this week's recipe was one that kind of just hit me like a lightning bolt while I was watching the Food Network. It's kind of on the same lines, but then I'm like, we got to make it even better. We were inspired by what you saw on the Food Network, and we worked out this recipe with chicken eggs. Essentially, these are similar to a scotch egg, but without the sausage. And on the Food Network, they used a goose egg. I've yeah. never had a goose egg. I bet they're tasty. It was huge. I they mean, big. it was big. And they say that the yolk to white ratio, it's much higher yolk than white. So it's okay. a richer egg. Figuring with it being in the new year, you know, I always had that New Year's resolution. Look, I got to exercise. I got to eat healthy. This was like a little healthier, but still kind of a little fun. It looks fancy. I mean, essentially, you're going to serve this over a bed of greens with like balsamic vinaigrette. And it's not hard, not a lot of ingredients, not a lot of steps. So you can even serve it over a warm salad. I always love like warming my iceberg or warming just greens up and then putting stuff on top of them. It's so good. You're going to start by soft boiling these eggs. You're going to soft boil them and then you're going to peel them. We recommend that you maybe cook them a little longer than you would for just regular soft boiled eggs. Not quite hard boiled. I think if you overcook them, it's not the end of the world. You don't want them to be so soft that as you peel them, you put a finger through them. So you're going to soft boil your eggs and then you're going to peel them once they're cool. You need a couple of bowls for an assembly line and you need a pan with some oil in it. Mm -hmm. Or you You can use your air fryer if you want to go that route too. You know, you can probably also bake these and we were going to try that and ran out of time. But if anyone tries to bake them, let us know how it works out. Yeah. You need a bowl of milk or non-dairy milk. You need a bowl with flour or gluten-free flour, and you need a bowl with breadcrumbs, like a cup, cup and a half of breadcrumbs. And then all your little spices in the breadcrumbs. So you're going to do a little bit of salt and pepper and cayenne, if you like it a little tiny bit spicy. And your vegetable oil, you're either going to use vegetable or peanut for Mm -hmm. the frying. So you're just going to bread the soft-boiled egg, essentially. You're going to make that assembly line, like Holly Ann said, go from milk to the flour to the breadcrumbs and then drop it in the oil or pop it in the air fryer or pop it in the oven. Yeah. And once it's cooked, you're going to serve it on those greens and that's it. It's that easy and that neat. Imagine how like if your friend comes over for coffee and lunch and you're like serving this up, it looks really upscale, but it's not hard at all. And it's a great lunch to sit there with coffee and chat and it's healthy and you kind of feel like you get that little bit of that crunch, like that breading that's not so healthy, but it's not bad for you. Really, it's not. Well, it's certainly not as bad as a scotch egg would be with all the sausage coating the outside of it. But Exactly. So instead, you're putting it over the greens. You got that healthy stuff. And I just loved it. And I was like, let's change this up so that we can use chicken eggs. And it was great. Yeah, it's good stuff. So try it. Tell us how you like it. Yeah. Send us a picture if you try it. We would love to see it and let us know. Okay. So let's move on to retail therapy. Retail Retail therapy. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. 
This week's retail therapy, we're talking about radiant panel heaters. We've discussed all the good things about them. There are several options on the market. So we'll just share a few of them. A lot of people ran out at the last minute and got their hands on whatever they could find. You were one of those people. I'm raising both hands. Well, you I didn't yeah. have enough. <laughs> the thing is, though, you ended up getting a brand you might not have gotten otherwise, and it's fantastic. I know. So I didn't have quite enough, and I was like, oh, no. It got on that phone and started calling around, and it was pouring down rain and starting to sleep, and I'm riding out there. After I called, this guy John said, ask for John, I'm putting them aside for you. I'm like, yeah, I got them. So this is why I say plan ahead, but I didn't have quite enough. It all worked out in the end. So the panel heater that I got at TSC actually turns into the brooder plate and has the clips to turn it into a brooder plate. It's amazing. So it's Producers Pride brand. Essentially, it's a good sized radiant panel heater that comes on little plastic feet so it can sit upright. All of the panel heaters, you can also mount against the wall. It has the little thing on the back where you can mount it, or it comes with the two plastic feet that you can put on either side. And this one comes with the feet that holds it the way a brooder plate would hold it. So it switches to a brooder. So literally, you can use this to brood your chicks in the spring and store it and use it in the winter for coop heat if necessary. And it was $49. It's not going to break your bank. It's good size, though. Compared to most brooder plates, it's bigger. It's a good size. It's at least double to triple the size of a normal brooder plate. And it also has a, a high and low switch, which I love. And you know what? The cozy works just as well. I mean, great. All of mine are cozy coop heaters. And the reason for that is I got most of them on Chewy because a few years back they had a buy two, get one free sale. Mm -hmm. It was a fantastic sale and I saved a lot of money and I have a lot of heaters now. I have a lot of chickens. Our chickens have grown. And that's the thing. Like I had my heaters for so many chickens and then my chickens have grown and I'm like, oh no. Right. Both of my big Amish coops have two panels in them each. So yeah, that it makes a difference. I'll switch on my cozy coop heaters generally if it's getting below 20 Fahrenheit, like we said in our main yeah. topic. My Bantams, those heaters will often go on when it's 30 and under. So, oh, yeah. So the cozy coop are fantastic because when I put them on for the Bantams, when it's about 30 degrees or under, we put them on low. And They're, it keeps it nice and cozy. It does. Yeah, it's not too high for them. It works really well. Very similar to the cozy coop heater is K&H. They also make a panel heater. Works very, very well. You can't go wrong there either. Now, if you don't want to go the panel heater way, you want something that hangs, you can get a sweeter heater and they're a little bit more money, but you can get them in various sizes Mm -hmm. for what you need. So Kellyanne has larger coops than me. So some of her coops need two to three of the heaters. My coops are smaller, so they only need one heater in each of them. So if you need to get bigger sometimes and you have room to hang something, the sweeter heater might be the way to go. The sweeter heater can also be used for brooding chicks. Yes. You can hang it over a brooder. The sweeter heater, like you said, it comes in different sizes, different prices. It's usually a little pricier, but very well made. The sweeter heater always makes me laugh because Martha Stewart has a sweeter heater installed in the ceiling of every one of her chicken coops. A lot of the places to sell chicks, like we went to Homewood Gardens this spring. Mm-hmm. They changed their whole brooder system and put a sweeter heater in. They're awesome. They're safe enough to use as brooder heaters. Right. So if you want to hang the heat, if you have the room to hang it, the sweeter heater is the way to go. Where we have all of these listed, if you go to our show notes, we have a link to our Amazon storefront. Or if you're on Instagram, 
and you go to our bio, there's a link right in there to our storefront. And we have different categories. And we put that there so that if you're listening to us and you hear about a product and you don't know where to get it, we're telling you where you can get it. On our Amazon storefront, you can go through Amazon. You can have them delivered right to you. Or if you want to go that route, Tractor Supply does now sell the panel heaters. You can get them that way also. They're going to continue to become more mainstream as people understand how they work and how they can protect your chickens from pain, frostbite's very painful, and even death. So you're going to start seeing more and more of them. So, you know, if you want to get some before the rush is on, might not be a bad time. You know, I got a call from someone who I know, a friend of mine who was chicken sitting right as this was starting to hit. And she cares for animals so much. These weren't even her chickens. And she called me up and she's like, Chrissy, what do I do? So I sent her to TSC to get a panel heater for these chickens. And she gladly did it. That's kind of how sitter that you want that's looking out for your animals. For sure. And she's like, I'm going over there right now to get the panel heater for them. Before anyone thinks that this house sitter went rogue, the owner was in full agreement to put a panel heater in the coop. Oh, yeah. They're going to take care of their animals. We're going to direct you every time for a panel heater. Every time because it doesn't hurt anything. Doesn't hurt and it can help a lot. So sweeter heater, panel heaters, those are the way to go. They're on our Amazon storefront. They're in TSC. And I'm sure Rural King must carry them also. Oh, I'm sure they do. I haven't been in the one near us for a while. I should pop in there sometime soon and see what they have. They're safe and they work. Exactly. Okay. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week is a fun episode. We are spotlighting the beautiful Rosecomb Bantam. Yay! Main topic, New Year, New Chicks. We're going to be talking all about the Spring Chick Rush. Cracking the eggs is Bantam Egg Sliders. And These are going to be good. They're really good. And before you freak out, don't worry. They work with pullet eggs too, not just Bantam eggs. They're going to be so good. Retail Therapy. We're going to talk about the chicken offerings from the historic Federal Glass Company. I've been waiting for this one. Okay. So what should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. Thanks for listening.